This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. 653. And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Greatest country in the world. Thanks for being happy Saturday. Let's chat a little bit about uh, Trump's speech the other day. So I'm really grateful that he brought this point up. Um, he said, today's rare disease day, joining Megan Crowley, diagnosed with Pompeii disease, rare and serious uh, illness. <coughs> Excuse me. When she was uh, 15 months old, she was not expected to liz- live past five. On receiving this news, Megan's dad fought with everything he had to save the life of his precious child. He founded a company to look for a cure and helped develop the drug that saved Megan's life. Today, she's 20 years old and a sophomore at Notre Dame. How awesome. Megan's story is also about the unbounded power of a father's love for a daughter. But our slow and burdensome approval process at the Food and Drug Administration keeps too many advances, like the one that saved Megan's life, from reaching those in need. If we slash the restraints, not just at the FDA, but across our government, then we will be blessed with far more miracles like Megan. In fact, our children will grow up in a nation of miracles. That is awesome. Everything about that, the, the story and the rhetoric and everything, the nation of miracles like that. If Trump can brand that and harness that moving forward, that's pretty good. Not a lot of talk ever about the FDA, which is a shame uh, because it's life or death. Now, we talk about it from time to time, and I'm really grateful the president brought it up. Because the FDA does more harm than good. And, and I, know that's, I know that's a dramatic sentence. Hold on, hold on. Hear me out. You got to hear me out. But I think what I just said is true. I'll explain why. But here's how. Four decades ago, and this is just one example. I'll give you many. Four decades ago, the definition of a medical device was first established by the Food and Drug Administration. So a medical device is any instrumentality used in the diagnosis or treatment of a patient. This is Angus King. He said, 40 years ago, a personal computer was a pipe dream. An apple was strictly a fruit. And software was a mink coat. His point is, 40 years later, things change. But that regulation has stayed the same. So what has this meant for real life? Apple, a few years ago, wanted to get into the... um, 
more into the healthcare monitoring world. So an example of this would be blood sugar monitoring. Now, Apple has the technology to do it. That used to be the biggest hurdle, right? Like how, how could possibly a phone, a cell phone, which is a relatively new phenomenon, how could a cell phone possibly monitor your blood sugar levels? Like, like that's, it seemed impossible. Well, we can do that now. That's not the hard part. The hard part is the FDA won't approve it because the definition of a medical device is so broad that the FDA won't let Apple do it without their approval, which Apple could get. But the problem is every time an app updates, which is about a month or so, it has to go. It would have to go through the same many year long approval process by the FDA. And that just makes no sense. So Apple and other companies, other tech companies, other disruptive companies have shied away from medical technologies because it's just too, it's, it's not, it's not worth it. Makes no sense. You can't. But because the FDA, just, I mean, every time, every, let's say Apple comes up with a with a program that works, and then a month later they 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 want to improve it, like they got to go through the same couple year long process. It's crazy. But imagine if everyone had an app on their phone that could warn you a couple minutes ahead of time if you are possibly going to have a heart attack. Oh, it's life changing, and that's possible. But the FDA is blocking it. It takes three times as long to get a drug approved in America as it does in Europe. Same drug. You take the same drug. You want to get it approved in Europe and you want to get it approved in America. You start at the same time. It'll take you know eight months in, uh, in Europe and it'll take 24 months, two years in America. Same drug. And no one in Europe, there's not like mass epidemics across Europe of people dying from unsafe medicines. The European Union actually outsourced their version of the FDA and it works, works more efficiently and effectively, obviously. About a year ago, Dr. Pazder, he was the director of the FDA's uh, cancer drug office, right? So he was the, the main guy in charge of approving cancer drugs. And he had this policy that all drug makers had to prove with near certainty that their products are beneficial. Now, the, the medicine might be beneficial for some people. It may not be for everyone. That's a very difficult standard. And in the meantime, people were dying, people willing to try anything in their final days, but Dr. Pazder wouldn't let them. Imagine, I know there's people listening right now who maybe have been in this situation with a family member or a friend where they have cancer and nothing works. Okay, let's try this new treatment. Nothing works. Let's try this new treatment. Nothing works. Okay, well, there's an experimental medication, but you're not allowed to use it. Or, or even worse, there's a medicine in France that would save your life, but you're not allowed to use that. Saving lives in France, but not here in America. Oh my gosh, could you imagine? So that was Dr. Pazder's uh, job. And he was known by all these nicknames, you know, blocking all these medicines until... His wife got cancer. She actually passed away from it last November. And that's when he found a new passion for speeding up the approval process. So that's what it took to open up a bureaucrat's eyes. I'll give you one last example. We, we talked about this when uh, Ebola was a thing. Was it like a year or two ago? There is a machine that can test for Ebola in a patient in 60 minutes with 90% accuracy. 
It is currently in hospitals across the country. This isn't a pipe dream. This is not like, well, maybe one day. This is right now. It's, it's not even like a prototype. There's one in the, you know, we're trying to make one. They're all over the country in, in hospitals. But the FDA won't let doctors use it. U.S. military doctors used it in Africa, right? So it's in use. We know it works. But the FDA has only approved it for use in America for research purposes, not for the actual testing of patients. So someone would come in, they're showing Ebola symptoms, they would have to take a test, and it took over two days for someone to get the results back. In the meantime, they have to be in quarantine and all these other precautions, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe not even get the proper treatment. When there's a machine literally in the hospital, the same hospital that can find out in 60 minutes with 90% accuracy whether or not the person has Ebola but the FDA won't let people use it. That's insane. Okay, you get the idea. So why? Why is this? Why is the FDA work like this? It's very simple. Let's say I invent a drug that will save the lives of, uh, okay, let's just take 10 people. Okay, we got 10 people who are sick. I invent a medicine that will save the lives of eight of those people, but it will kill two. Are you with me? So I got, so there's 10 people who are sick. I got a medicine. It's going to save eight lives, kill two people. Now, if you're an FDA bureaucrat and you approve this drug, you're going to get in trouble for approving something that kills two people. Now, obviously now expand this to a million people, right? Now we're talking 2 million people, right? 8 million people's lives saved, 2 million people dead. Everyone's going to focus on the 2 million who were killed because of this medicine. So you're not going to pass it. I could. I mean, I'm not going to let these two people die because, right? But if you don't approve the drug, no one will know. If you don't approve the drug and and everyone there dies, or even the eight people that would have lived died, no one knows that there was a drug that could have saved your life. So you don't get blamed for anything. Now I look at that and I say, well, the FDA's inaction killed those eight people. Because if the FDA just got out of the way, then those eight people would still be alive. So I say in this scenario that eight people, that the FDA killed eight people, but that's not how people look at it because people don't know really, again, that this drug could have existed or did it does exist, but the FDA just won't let people use it. So the FDA has an incentive to not approve drugs. They have an incentive to make sure that, you know, everyone, it, it works for everyone all the time or whatever. Right. So, so bureaucrats err. Until the head bureaucrat's wife dies. And then he errs on the side of, well, let's give it a shot. But even when he figures it out, the system is still made against him. still designed to work against him. Does that make sense? So to go back to Trump, I think it's awesome that he brought up the FDA. This is great of all things, right? But I love how he didn't just do the FDA, right? He says, if we slash the restraints, not just at the FDA, but across our government, then we will be blessed with far more miracles like Megan. In fact, our children will grow up in a nation of miracles. Awesome. So FDA is a great analogy for the regulations that are holding people back, holding our country back. So grateful he brought it up. one 888 Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network.
2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. 653. Mike Slater. Slater said, is one last part of Trump's speech from the other day. He said, we financed and built one global project after another, but ignored the fates of our children in the inner cities of Chicago, Baltimore, and Detroit, and so many other places throughout our land. Then in 2016, the earth shifted beneath our feet. The rebellion started. Bah, 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 bah. Finally, the chorus became an earthquake and the people turned out by the tens of millions and they were all united by one very simple, very crucial demand that America must put its own citizens first because only then can we truly make America great again. So that's the theme of the speech, right? That's the theme of Trump's presidency. America first. That's why he said, you know, we financed global projects, but have ignored Detroit. This is one of the big divides in our country. Globalist versus nationalist. Now, if you're a globalist, you just heard me say something very different than what I said. Listen to this. This is super fascinating. I just said that one of the big divides in our country is globalist versus nationalist. Now, if you are a globalist, you, what you heard me say was one of the biggest divides in our country is between helping people and racists. <laughs> right? That's you heard me say, well, the big divide is uh, between those who want to help people and those who are racists. That's how progressives view globalism, helping people. Right? In, in a progressive mindset, when you hear the word globalist or I'm a citizen of the world, stuff like that, what that is, is it applies to their moral foundation of caring and fairness and helping people. Now, the thing is, there's many ways to help people around the world. And no one should be convinced that government spending is the best way to help people around the world. Most foreign aid to third world countries just goes to enrich the dictators there. But being a globalist is this, this virtue signaling about what a caring person you are. But as Trump said, in the meantime, our own cities are being neglected. Now, I, w- I just said our own citizens... You know, our own cities are being neglected. I would say our own people are being neglected, but to a globalist, that doesn't make sense because we're all in the human race, right? So there's no such thing as our people, right? Trump talks about, he said, our land. Even to a globalist, like that doesn't make sense. That's why there's no borders. There's no such thing as a possession of land. It's, if anything, it's the Native American's land, but really it's all of our land. It's the earth's land, right? That whole thing. That's the whole globalist mindset. But I, this is where I stand. I want to see if you agree. I think it is the government's job 
to serve, and we can talk about what serve means. I think there's a couple definitions, but within the context of the Constitution, it's the government's job to serve our citizens. It's the church's job to serve the human race. Let me say it again. It's the government's job to serve our citizens. It's the church's job to serve the human race. Where the globalists go wrong is they think it's the government's job to serve the human race. No, it's the United States government's job to serve the citizens of this country. If you want to serve people around the world, by all means, please, you should. And that is the church's job. Or if you don't want to do it through the church, you can do it through secular organizations around the world. But that is not the government's job. It's our citizens first. It has to be. So that's the globalist perspective. Now, the opposite is nationalism. So while globalism has become helping people, loving people, citizen of the world, but nationalism has become Hitler, right? Nationalism is hating other people, hating other countries, hurting other people. But that's not what it is. What it means is, what I think nationalism means and I know that's tough to define terms like this that have just become, you know, whatever people want them to be. But for me, nationalism is when you look at an issue, looking at it from the perspective of what benefits the American people first. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to look at this perspective as in a way that, you know, what hurts other people first or what hurts other countries. That's not the goal. The goal is what helps America first. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not going to look at an issue and say, hmm, how can we stick it to the Chinese? That's not my thing. It's, I'm, going to, I'm going to look at it and say, okay, well, how are we going to help the American people? That's the first priority. That's what I'm going to look at. That's the perspective I'm going to look at all things. It doesn't mean I want other countries. I'm not going to you know, encourage genocide and, and a Holocaust in other nations or whatever. That, that's, or here. That is a cartoon characterization of nationalism. That it's just Hitler. No, it's America first. Now, I happen to believe you want to go a little deeper, I happen to, happen to believe that if you truly want to be a globalist, right, the best way to really be a globalist is to first be a nationalist. Let me say it again. If you really want to be a globalist, you have to first be a nationalist. First and foremost, nationalist. This is why John Quincy Adams, he said that America does not go abroad in search of monsters to destroy but she is a well-wisher to the freedom and independence of all. We don't want other countries to be in bad shape. We wish everyone well. And I think leading by example is the best course of action. This is why the Statue of Liberty, we've talked about this a million times, the Statue of Liberty is actually called Liberty Enlightening the World. It was a statue first. A hundred years later, they slapped a poem on it, which changed the whole definition of the Statue of Liberty. Be a thing about immigration. It was never about immigration. It was designed as a liberty lighting the torch holding the torch up for every other country to emulate not for every other country to come here but for every other country to emulate in their own countries that's what the statue of liberty was all about liberty enlightening the world not everyone coming to america (laughs) that that was after right so again it's just it's leading right it is it really any different than if a, your plane is crashing, you put your own oxygen mask on first before helping others. Is it any different than that? I don't think it is. Now, again, I don't know why it has to be, oh, I, I'm looking at this from America's perspective first. I don't know why that has to be, I want what's bad for other countries. That's not it. I want what's best for America. Why, why is that even controversial? He went on, he gave a, um, uh, he mentioned this, he said, 
Just met with officials and workers from Harley Davidson. Uh, in fact, they proudly displayed five of their magnificent motorcycles made in the USA on the front lawn of my White House. And then he made some joke about like they wanted me to drive around or something. Uh, at our meeting, I asked them, how are you doing? How is business? They said, it's good. I asked them further how they're doing with other countries, mainly international sales. And they told me without even complaining because they've been so mistreated for so long that they've become used to it, that it's very hard to do business with other countries because they tax our goods at such a high rate. They said that in one case, another country taxed their motorcycles at 100%. But they weren't even asking for a change. But I am. I believe strongly in free trade, but also in fair trade. Uh, to do... uh, I think that's good. All right, we'll stop there. So now... I don't want to get into a whole uh, tariff debate because I actually don't. I don't support tariffs or protectionist policies. I don't support uh, a lot of Trump's uh, trade policies, but those are policy questions. Okay, we can have a, we can have a good conversation about policy. Should we have a tariff? Shouldn't we have a tariff? Okay, we can. I can. We can have a great conversation about that. But first, we got to agree on the principle of America first, right? We have to agree on that principle. Then we can discuss the best way to do that. So if we can all agree, if you and I can agree that the, we should America first, then we can have a civil conversation on whether or not tariffs achieve that principle. I don't think they do. You may think they do. We can have that policy discussion. First, we have to agree on principle. And, and I know we do, but we got to get the rest of the country to agree with that as well. Because we've been globalist for far too long. The church needs to be globalist. That's great. Our government needs to be nationalist, and that's nothing to be ashamed of. one 888 Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio. On The Blaze Radio Network. Later on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater, because we were just talking about globalist nationalists that, uh, you know, America first, the concept of America first. Um, th- this is a, a microcosm of that. So, California, the state in which I live, Sacramento, our capital, has a globalist mindset. Right? They have a globalist uh, set of principles when it comes to a lot of things, but let's just, you know, sanctuary city status. It's a good example, right? So what's the first priority of the politicians, the representatives of, of California? Not the citizens of the state. It's not. Now let's move away from, from that even. Let's just talk about priorities. I think it's a government. So I think a government is two jobs. We'll do a state government. It's two jobs. First, it's to provide, or excuse me, second is to provide infrastructure, right? Roads, electricity, water. First and foremost, the protection of law-abiding people. Now, I don't want to get into a second amendment debate. debate. Of course, that's your priority. It should be your priority as well, keeping your family safe and blah, blah, blah. But I'm talking to government, right? That's no, I think that's the number one priority is creating a safe environment for people to thrive and flourish in their lives. Best as possible, right? 
So what's the top priority of, uh, of the representatives in Sacramento? Is it to protect criminals or law-abiding people? I'm going to prove here in five minutes that it's criminals. The top priority of politicians in Sacramento is to protect criminals. They look at it. They look at this issue, public safety, from the criminal's perspective, not from the law-abiding people's perspective. And this is why things get so screwed up. Similarly, these last eight years in D.C., everything was looked at from a global perspective, not from an America first perspective. That's why we have Donald Trump right now. Anyway, here's here's the first story. Jesus Cecina, 1978, this guy was driving down the street here in San Diego. Routine traffic stop. San Diego police officer Archie Bugs walks up to the driver's side window. Cecina pulls out his gun, shoots him four times. Gets out of the car, stands over the police officer who's laying on the ground, and shoots him in the head point-blank range. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. But then, his sentence was reduced because he was only 17 at the time he killed this police officer. So they gave him life in prison with the possibility of parole. Again, this was 1978. Now, since then, he's been denied parole 14 times. But in 2014, Jesus Cecina was granted parole. Now, in California, the governor has 120 days to deny a parole. And he did. Governor Brown did. 2015, this cop killer was again granted parole. And the governor denied it. Thank goodness. Just last week, for the third time, this cop killer was granted parole. And now it's up to the governor. What's up with this parole board? <laughs> it's the obvious. This isn't just someone who murdered someone, which is bad enough. It's a guy who murdered a police officer. Now, I love this is the write-up. This is the third sentence in our local newspaper, the San Diego Union Tribune. This is the third sentence. We're going to play a game here. The game is find three irrelevant details in this one sentence alone. And this is the third sentence of the story. Now, Brown, Governor Brown, will have to again decide if it is time for Cecina, who was 17 at the time of the shooting and is now a graying 55-year-old man with bad knees, should get out of prison. Okay, again, where, where is the irrelevant information? This is like out of uh, the magazine highlights, right? Like, what's wrong with this photo? What are the three pieces of irrelevant information in this sentence? Governor Brown will have uh, to again to decide if Cecina, who was 17 at the time of his shooting and is now a graying 55-year-old man with bad knees should get out of prison. Okay, I would say the fact that he has gray hair, the fact that he's 55, irrelevant, and the state of his knees doesn't matter at all. Those are not reasons to be granted parole after killing a police officer. The only reason that I can possibly fathom why this man would be recommended for parole is to free up prison beds. But do you have to do that with someone who shot a police officer five times? California is ground zero for prison reform. Now, here's the problem with prison reform, and I will explain what those are. Prison reform reforms prisons. It doesn't reform prisoners. And the society certainly is not improved 
with prison reforms. I got three prison reforms that have happened here in just the last few years. 2011, we have what's called... Now, by the way, I should tell you this. Everyone in California, well, everyone paying attention in California knows what these three things are, just top of their mind. This is like... Someone will be like, oh, was that a, was that a Prop 47? Was that an AB 109? Was that a 57? Like, we just... We all know these words. Um, you wouldn't if you're not in California, but this happened this so frequently. Like, story... These things come up so often that it's just part of the lexicon in California. So 2011, the Sacramento passed AB 109. It's called prison realignment. So what they did is they took prisoners and and put the and I'll tell you why they did all this in a little bit. They took the prisoners and put them in county jails. Right? And then the county jails were full. So to free up space, criminals in the jails had to be released. Okay, that's prison realignment. Two years ago, I guess three now, two in a couple months. We passed Prop 47. This is the people of California voted on this. Prop 47. Redefining certain crimes as misdemeanors. So re- redefining certain felonies as misdemeanors. So possession of cocaine, heroin, meth, things like that. It's a misdemeanor now. And there's a bunch of other things too that we don't have to go over. But you have crimes that used to be felonies are now misdemeanors. So if you used to commit this crime, you'd go to jail. Now you get released the next day. And you can commit this misdemeanor 10, 20, 30, 40 times. Boom, 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 boom. Once a day, every single time, you just get released the next day. That's Prop 47. Third thing, and this was just a couple months ago, the people of California voted on Prop 57. And it was a total scam from the jump. This is early release of felonies, felons, if they were sentenced to, uh, or if they were were convicted of nonviolent crimes. Now, when they pitched this to the people of California, they kept saying, whoa, whoa, it's, yeah, listen, nonviolent criminals, okay? They were convicted of nonviolent crimes. It's no big deal. And we screamed from the rooftops when this was on the ballot that the common sense definition of nonviolent crime is very different from the legal definition of nonviolent crime. What you would consider very, very violent in the legal world is classified under nonviolent crime. If someone, let me, let me just, I'll be real here. You have a daughter, okay? Your daughter's in college, goes to a, uh, a party. Someone puts something in her drink, right? She passes out. Someone finds your daughter, rapes her, nonviolent crime. Rape of an unconscious person in the legal code is classified as a nonviolent crime. So Prop 57 means if someone raped an unconscious person, they are now eligible for early release because they were sentenced to a nonviolent crime. Human trafficking of a minor, nonviolent crime. Assault with a daily weapon, a deadly weapon, nonviolent crime. <laughs> you think, whoa, 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 how can assault with a deadly weapon be a nonviolent crime? It's a nonviolent crime. Exploding a bomb. With the intent to cause injury, nonviolent crime. You with me on these? So all these nonviolent criminals, rapists, people blowing up bombs, human traffickers, nonviolent criminals. Not based on a common sense definition, but on the legal definition they are. So we have this perfect storm in California of these three things. AB 109, taking prisoners, moving them to jails, and then releasing criminals on the streets. Prop 47, redefining down certain felonies to misdemeanors. And then Prop 57 is letting nonviolent criminals up for parole. All of these prison reforms. These are all prison reforms, right? 
That's what they call these prison reforms. And yes, they reform prisons. But it doesn't reform our communities for the better. It's not helping law-abiding people. It's not helping citizens of the state who are following the rules and just want to be safe. But it's not looked at from our perspective. It's looked up from the criminal's perspective. So why is this happening? Supreme Court 2010, there was a case called Brown versus Plata. Plata was a, crim- uh, a prisoner. He claimed that the prisons were so overcrowded that it constituted cruel and unusual punishment. And the Supreme Court ruled five to four in his favor and ordered the state to reduce the prison population from 200% of, divi- uh, of design capacity to 137% of design capacity, which means that 40,000 inmates had to be released in two years, right? 40,000 inmates in two years. So they took prisoners, put them down to jails, right? There you go. Now, anyone with common sense would be like, oh, geez, the prisons are overcrowded. We should build more prisons. But progressives decided to instead let prisoners free and did it under the, the headline of prison reform. Justice Alito, he was in the dissent he said, I fear that today's decision, like prior prisoner release orders, will lead to a grim roster of victims. I hope that I'm wrong. In a few years, we will see. Well, a few years have gone by. It is seen. It's easy to see. And now our state wants to let a cop killer free. And we're supposed to feel pity for him because he has gray hair and bad knees. What a perfect example of not looking at a situation from the proper perspective. one 888 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Part of the next generation of talk radio, this is Mike Slater. Uh, I got a few minutes. We can chat about this. So did you see uh, Donald Trump on the USS Ford, the aircraft carrier? I think this was on Thursday. Giving a speech talking about how he's going to build the biggest, best military ever, blah, 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 all this good stuff. And then uh, he had a great line. And I wish I had it in front of me. I apologize. But it was something like, um, we're going to build the best military ever. Hopefully we never have to use it. But if we do, we're going to crush the enemy. Something like that, right? Love it. This was on Thursday and literally the day before that. I don't even know how, but I came across uh, some writings by a guy named uh, uh, Vegetius. It's about 450 or so. He wrote a book called The Epitome of Military Science. Uh, Roman guy. He wasn't a general. Roman writer, right? And he made two points. 1500 years ago that I know Donald Trump would certainly agree with because it was pretty much exactly what he said on the, on the deck of the USS Ford. Vigetia said, for there is nothing more stabler or more fortunate or admirable than a country which has copious supplies of soldiers who are trained for it's not stores of gold, silver and gems that bend out enemies to respect or support us. They are kept down solely by fear of our arms. He who wants victory, let him train soldiers diligently. 
He who wishes a successful out- outcome, let him fight with strategy, not at random. No one dares challenge or harm someone who he realizes will win if he fights. Okay, so as with all great warriors, they're not warmongers, right? No warrior loves war. Like the like the brute killing. Like that's no, they're not you're not a warmonger, you're a warrior. Same thing on a macro level with our country. Great military leaders understand that the best way to prevent a war is to have a strong military and to show it. Vigetius said the glitter of arms strikes very great fear in the enemy. Who can believe a soldier is warlike when his inattention has fouled his arms with mold and rust? That's Trump is saying is our military today. It is fouled with uh, mold and rust. It's old small but we need the glitter of arms again we need the uss ford our newest aircraft carrier right we need the glitter of arms because that's what strikes fear in the enemy we have to stay a generation ahead of our country ahead of our enemy we have to stay a generation ahead i'm not sure what war is going to look like in the future but that's the point no one does you got to be prepared for everything large-scale war guerrilla war every terrain all around the world and that's what trump is talking to talking about when he talks about a big military and a military again that no one wants to use. No one wants to use, but that's the point. That's why it needs to be big and glittering. Not only that, but uh, just I'll end on this. Vigetius, as we talk about all the time, the real great divide in our country is city versus country uh, folks. And Vigetius said that country folk make the best soldiers He says, from the country, the main strength of the army should be supplied. They, country people, are nurtured under the open sky in a life of work, enduring the sun, careless of shade, unacquainted with bathhouses, (laughs) like the spa today, ignorant of luxury, simple-souled, content with a little, with limbs toughened to endure every kind of toil, and for whom digging a ditch and carrying a burden is what they are used to. And he goes on and says, if you must, if you must take a soldier from the city, then you have to break them down first so that they're as good as the country folk. And that's what we call boot camp, <laughs> right? So there's another example of the, the country city divide. I love that country folk, uh, enduring the sun, unacquainted with bathhouses, ignorant of luxury, simple sold, content with a little. That's how we all should be all right i want to talk about the uh, the cult of environmentalism we'll do that next on the mike slater show the blaze radio network spread the word you're listening to mike slater part of the next generation of talk radio on the blaze radio network